Ah, this is exciting. <laughs> oh, it started. Okay, just me. Hello, hello. Yes. There we go. Hello, Eden. Hello. <laughs> Uh, something we haven't really talked about is your own music, ah. um, because you're also a songwriter. Can you tell us a bit about that? Ah, well, you brought it up, so um, yeah, I wasn't going to make a, a shameful plug. Um, I don't believe in shameless plugging. I think for me it'd be a shameful plug. But um, <laughs> since you've brought it up, yeah, I it. Hmm. It, it's always been an interest of mine, and I I found actually recently some some little uh, sketches of um, lyrics and guitar chords from when I was um, you know ten or something, which are awful. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always been an interest of mine, but I I always really lacked the confidence. I saw it as I think, and I I think it's partly the way we talk about and think about music, and particularly older music is you know you've got this kind of um, what's the word they always use prodigy, which mm-hmm. and or you know or the the concept of of talent you either got it or you don't or whatever. I think it's all really damaging, um, and I think you know for the most part people you know, it might just be exposed to it really early. There might be a slight genetic component, perhaps. But, I mean, essentially, you know, people get where they are from really hard work. And I don't think that gets enough airtime. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, all these amazing writers and composers, you know, they, they work on it. And you, you might get the odd idea that, you know, comes to you in the middle of the night or in a little flash of inspiration. But for the most part, it's hard graft, it's editing, it's careful thought, it's... Yeah, you know, it's all those things. and But I think, you know, for, for years and years and years, I thought, well, you know, I don't seem to have a, a natural talent for this, therefore why bother? Um, yeah. And, yeah, I only started writing, really, when I once I'd left school, um, I think as a response to hardship and a way of kind of expressing that. Um, so at which point I didn't really care whether it was good or bad. It was more kind of um, self-administered therapy, I suppose. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, you know, I, I wrote these, I wrote a few songs just for piano and voice or guitar and voice and, you know, never, never whispered them to a soul, really. I played a couple to my mum, with great embarrassment. And my uncle as well, my uncle Rich, because he's, he's fab. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, then I went off to Nottingham and I was doing classical music and choral stuff and forgot about it all. And then as time went on again, I, I really missed it. And actually it all, it all came back in a kind of, significant way once my plans to go to Louisiana for a postgrad fell through I thought well I've got this year mm-hmm. and this this can be the the year of pop I suppose yeah so I I kind of thought you know well I'll I'll dig some of those old songs out and you know revise them a little bit but also keep some of them exactly the same because I think again they're symbols of their time um and I didn't want to kind of revise it and just transpose it all into to, to my present life but um yeah yeah I wrote I wrote other stuff during the course of that year and and Sam, my friend I mentioned earlier, we 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 built a kind of little home recording studio together, um, and spent the year writing, recording, you know, with our separate projects, but kind of helping each other out and supporting each other. And uh, I suppose um, made an album, but uh, really not in. Again, the, you've got to be so clear with people about this. No one asked me to, and no one asked me to put it <laughs> anywhere. It's just it's one of these things you can do now where you you invest in a little bit of gear and you just do it. And then you upload it to the internet. No one, you know, it's it's. <laughs> but 
no one asked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, that's the thing, and I'm I'm working on another at the moment as well, actually. Um, more of a more of a okay. metal album. Um, kind of back to my back to my roots in many ways. Oh, cool. So what we could do, what what we could put a track of yours on. Hmm. Or like a snippet of some of your music, if you was allowed that. Yeah, I mean, as, as long to. as we can make it absolutely clear that because um, I, I, my mum listened to Desert Island Disc the other day, and um, there was a woman on there who two of her tracks were her daughter's band, and it was just you know they may uh-huh. well be very significant to her, but it, it just reeked of self promotion, and um, and it just seemed really um, bad. So as long as as long as people know that you know. That oh, yeah, my I panel will, along, yeah. um, then that would be lovely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here we have a clip from one of Eden's own songs. This is All Those Silly Things. It's gonna be fine Watching yesterday Going down, 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 down In my mind Cross to the sunny side of the water With you by my side to ask me about what my favorite piece of yours is we could we could do that now if that was what you were <laughs> so I, I already i already know my answer so <laughs> do you okay um i might just include that little preamble well i'll edit it um so yeah completely randomly out of the blue tell me what piece of mine is your favorite Eden. it is lead kindly light Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um it's a text I've always really loved actually. I I first came across it in the the Howard Goodall Requiem. Um, oh yeah, yeah. And that, yeah, that movement is great actually. I think it's you know I think it's it's accessible and consumable, but I think there's nothing wrong with that. And um mm. yeah, it was it was a teacher of a teacher left school and uh, she asked us to asked the choir to to sing that for her. So that's when I came across it. And yeah, I, I love the words, and I, I think your setting is yeah. It's got the the kind of melancholy and and poignancy, but not in a not in a kind of wallowy way. Uh, it's just yeah, okay. it's very. I just think I just think it's very kind of sincere, and yeah, I don't know. It it it, it packs a punch. <laughs> Did I ever tell you what was going on when I was writing that? I don't think so. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, so Neil Page had asked me to set the words because at the time, Henry Newman was being beatified. Sure, yeah. 
and they were going to do some bees were going to do a joint concert with St Mary's featuring bits of settings of his text so he asked me to write this and I was looking at the text going I don't really know what to do with this and then Neil had a heart not did he have a heart attack I think he had a heart attack and not funny uh, <laughs> um so that was in the february and the concert was meant to be at the end of february so the concert was cancelled i had then basically stood in for neil and was conducting for like a month that was fine and then later that year in the may that was when neil well neil we had just recorded a CD of my music in the uh, January of 2011 and we were going to do a big weekend of my music and in May 2011 which we did and then I wrote a piece called Looks and Tenebris for my friend Elizabeth Stevens mm-hmm. on the cello so it was a piece for her with a choir that would come in after two or three minutes but hidden from view from the the audience. So Lish is like playing all this quite miserable, depressed, sort of dark music. <laughs> uh, it's quite intense. And then there's a moment where the choir come in um, from the Lady Chapel and the sound sort of just comes out of nowhere. And the effect is glorious. Um, I mean, the impact of the piece is more about the building rather than the music that's written. Uh, although there is a D major second chord in there um and there's a tam tam as well glorious (laughs) it's great i must resurrect it anyway so that um i wrote that piece which was all about light in the darkness and then anyway neil was better and he was like no you should still write that piece and we'll do it uh we'll sing it in the concert we're doing in december and i was really struggling to write this piece no (laughs) idea what i was doing and had already there was uh, basically an F sharp minor to D major with added second, like that progression in my head from Lux and Tenebris. And I thought, this is sort of, it feels like the stuff that I was exploring in that earlier piece would fit really nicely into Lead Candy Light. Yeah. And I wrote the piece in like two or three days. I remember it being on Wednesday and I was writing this piece going, I need to, I need to print this off and show it to Neil on Friday. <laughs> um, <and> it's <laughs> not written. Um, so I wrote this piece, did it, and then reformed it in the concert. Anyway, the backdrop to all of this was that I was becoming more and more sort of depressed and yeah, just depressed with life and stuff because I was not out to my parents and my family oh, and see. was being very, really aware because I was massively out, <laughs> massively out at university <laughs> and school friends from Ireland had then found out and that was all becoming a thing. And what I didn't want was my parents to find out via someone else. Sure. So I was thinking at that point, I need to tell them, I need to tell them, but just couldn't face it at all. Um, so I was writing Lee Kindly Light at that time. Um, and then at Christmas, well, it was in the new year, I ended up telling my parents and that was that. Um, yeah, special podcast episode for mm, that one. Yeah, because we can um, unpack that. <laughs> In a good, in a good <laughs> hour. <laughs> yeah, at least. Um, 
And I look back at Lee Candy Light and there's so many things in it that I didn't realize at the time, but it completely sort of encapsulates what was sort of going on in my head and in my stomach and like right to my very core about uh, being not true to myself Mm. and effectively lying to people. And as the whole sort of message about that and the whole message about looks and tenebrous, which was light in the darkness. And for me, light, I interpreted light as being truth and owning your own truth. And uh, yeah, there's just, that piece has just got a lot of um, sort of personal memories to me. Wow. Well, if anyone needed any proof that um, composers can write autobiographically, then there it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's it's so bizarre because I really struggled with the piece. Mm-hmm. I really, but it's only afterwards where I was like, oh my gosh, this complete, the text really did actually speak to what I was experiencing at the time without me really realizing yeah i mean it's it's, that's incredible kind of poetic synchronization really it's it's brilliant wow yeah what a great story congratulations uh thank you um i didn't think i'd be telling my lee candy light story in that (laughs) sorry i lured you in uh and now we're just gonna listen to the whole piece (laughs) (laughs)
shall we move on? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so I mentioned in the email this morning about that there may be possibility for you to have some like special honourable mentions of pieces that didn't yes. make the top seven. Sure, sure. Do you are there any that you would like to to talk about? Why don't I just reel them off? <laughs> Lovely, great. So yeah, one one that was was on the shortlist was uh, "Jesus of Suburbia" by Green Day from their American Idiot album two thousand and four, I believe. So yeah, that was when I was nine, and Mum bought that for her car journeys when it first came out, and yeah, it was massively exciting because um, you know I could swear when we sang along and all that sort of stuff, and it was it was great. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, it was it was the first kind of um, I suppose concept album I'd really come across. Um, in that there's this kind of character singing all the songs and just it's it's this really kind of cohesive package and yeah it, you know it really sparked my imagination and I loved you know it got me into the guitar I loved playing through it all on the guitar and singing along and and all that sort of stuff and again you know it's it's a great thing that mum and I shared and yeah that's that's my favorite track of the album partly because it's about 10 minutes long and um you get good good uh, value for money with it Gosh, you do like your long tracks, don't you? I do. It's making me seem really kind of um, <laughs> neck beardy, but <laughs> 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 um, it's it's more in the interest of of um, I think getting getting the most out of it. <laughs> oh well, yeah, that's something uh, to be said for that. Yeah, but it's it's a great song, and it's got just so many different moods and stories, and um, and again, I think it's just it's kind of the glamour and the grunge and the the kind of the underbelly activities and that sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just I really buy into all that. I love it. Cool. Next would be uh, Rylin by Andy McKee. Andy McKee was uh, one of the first or kind of the early pioneers of fingerstyle guitar, which is um, a, a kind of genre within the, the acoustic guitar world. And okay. it's it's kind of a quick sort of um, plucked, kind of soft plucked patterns and beautiful melodies and um, kind of playing the melody and the bass and the rhythm and the harmony all at the same time sort of thing. Yeah. Um it's really difficult. Um <laughs> I never got very far with it. But uh yeah, I was in New York with my mum and Michael one summer. I think it was my sixteenth birthday. And um yeah, Michael took me along to New York Guitar Centre and we picked out this gorgeous matte black Martin acoustic guitar that I still I still have. Um and yeah, it's a beautiful instrument. And it was, nice. again, I'm not quite sure where the money came from, because that was during the time when it was really, really, really difficult um, for them both. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, exactly. Um, but yeah, I remember taking taking this guitar back to the, the St. Michael's store and sitting in the back room after doing some filing, trying to help them out with my um, fairly useless skill set at that age. But yeah, spending spending those those stressful days kind of just focusing on, on learning learning that piece. Yeah. Um, which took me 
ages, and I, I never really mastered it, but I, you know, I, I could get from one end to the other, and yeah, it's it's just a beautiful piece, um, and it's uh, I love it. I suppose probably a track from from that Muse Absolution album we were talking about. Again, it's an, mm. it's another one. All comes back to Mum, which she'll be she'll be thrilled to hear about. She's <laughs> definitely not holding a gun to my head right now, but um, all about Mum. Yeah, maybe maybe time is running out or or falling away with you. Um, one of those songs off it, I think. Finally, the other one that was that was a really tricky one to figure out, and I think was was battling with the the passenger song, uh, was a song by Joshua Radin called Winter, and it's another kind of folky acoustic guitar based thing, um, yeah. and I discovered it uh, on the TV show Scrubs. It's used in a really kind of poignant funeral scene, um, and that was what really kind of launched Joshua Radin's career. I mean, he's he's always been a, an independent artist, and he had a number of his songs featured in Scrubs. Actually, they were his they were his biggest fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he's a cool guy. I, I met him after a, a gig in London in 2012 because I'm wearing the t-shirt as we speak, funnily enough. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, he's really friendly, and he wasn't quite so big back then. So we had we had a good old chat, and he wasn't as inundated as he would be now. But um, yeah, it was it was one of the first the first things I kind of played and sang properly on acoustic guitar with a view to to performing in public because I, I was petrified of singing in front of people, and I. Yeah. I really fell into that, and that was one of the songs that that I I got to the level of feeling comfortable enough to 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 do it in front of people. And again, the the path that laid down is is obviously quite significant given where I'm at at the moment. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was also the first song he ever wrote, so that was a nice little synchronized moment in a way again. Name 
room is the splinter inside me. There you go. All, all quite story focused, I think, rather than the music itself. You know, there's other there's other pieces and other songs that I I maybe uh, I don't know maybe get more out of musically, but I've I've never really had a musical relationship with music, if that makes any yeah. sense. Um, it's it's always been very person and experience focused. I think. Yeah, you know? I think that's for me. That has always the ones that stand the test of time for me are always ones who have that those pieces that have connections with other people and experiences sure. and those sort of memories. Hmm. Um, and do, do you find that with composing as well? Do you, do you think you do your best composition when it, when it refers to something other than the music? I, yeah, I always like writing for something. Sure. Um, I always like writing to a deadline because I just, my work ethic is terrible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, the last piece that I wrote, which we did as a virtual choir thing for the cathedral on Easter Sunday, I wrote that on Good Friday. Yeah, and I think the ones that I sort of keep thinking about, or I think that go slightly longer, are ones that were written for specific occasions and people. And yeah, and it's um, it's difficult to know, really. But I think, uh, yeah, specific pieces of mine that I like always remind me of people or a certain time and mm, like there's mm. certain pieces when we're performing at the cathedral where i like oh well that reminds me of this person or i remember when we did this like sure, sure. Brawl, whatever um yeah and I, I i imagine that's probably quite quite normal i think i think just because i've you know um well you and you and me both you know studied music at, um kind of bachelor's and master's level you know probably surrounded by people who who might be on the more kind of academic end of the spectrum, who, you know, just really get a yeah. kick out of like a gnarly extended chord or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, sometimes the, the kind of the core components of it will, will excite me, but um, mm. yeah, I think. Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, yeah, I just think particularly now having gone through almost what, three months of lockdown and having no, no choir, um, mm. has highlighted to me why what exactly I'm missing and yeah it's singing all this great music and performing all this great stuff um, but that's the music the sheet music is well, the, the music is uh, a very small percentage of what I'm missing because <laughs> um, it's that <laughs> it's, it's being with other people and having that group effort when it comes mm-hmm. to singing music and um and that's what you don't get when you've got a virtual when you're putting together a virtual choir thing um sure. everything's so so lonely and so isolated because everyone's doing yeah. everything in isolation and when you're mixing it together you're on mm. your own um and you can't people aren't responding to you you're not responding to other people it's all very artificial and i think that shows which is why I don't think virtual virtual choirs are great to sort of show your supporters that you're still trying to do something because I think they quite like to see people's faces. And I think that's what we had at the cathedral over Holy Week because it was a big shock for people not to be there and not to experience all this great music that we'd usually be doing. Sure. Um, But I think if we were doing that every Sunday, I don't know, it just... (laughs) 
it's such a lot of work as well. Um, people recording it and editing it and putting it all it together. Is, it is. It's just so time consuming. Um, and I think that sort of wears a bit thin after a while. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of what you've described is is really what I think certainly for me, and I, I think I've I've learned a lot from from you in this sense. I think you've been you know one of the the key influences for my for my conducting. But it's yeah, really what what conducting is all about. And I th- I think you do get people who even when they are doing it with people live in person, face to face, you know, ultimately have the have the score as their bible rather than yeah. um, rather than the people as their flock. <laughs> well, no. And, no. Uh, yeah yeah no you're completely <laughs> right you're completely right because i think there is i mean i we will have talked about this before but i think there are many people who stand up in front of a choir who want to who are not conducting the people in front of them they're conducting the choir that they want to conduct yes and yeah. <laughs> I, I i see that all the time and i see people get I see conductors get so frustrated because they um I mean, they probably don't know how to deal with that. They don't know how to get those singers to do what they want them to do. But sure. there's just so much to be said for actually giving the people in front of you the confidence to do their best. And there may be a limit to what that is. If they're still getting frustrated and they've done that, then they're not conducting the right choir. Sure. And, and you know, and even whether it's amateur singers or professional singers, yeah, I think we all we all need to remind ourselves that they are still people at the end of the day and they're there for specific reasons and mm. one thing that's common with all of them is they're there to enjoy it <laughs> yeah and um yeah i think that we need to kind of have that tattooed on our forearms i think yeah and there's i mean i've <laughs> hmm. i've conducted people and i've asked myself the question of why why do they never seem to enjoy this uh they seem to be just plucking holes in everything and seem to be fundamentally just incredibly dissatisfied with everything that's going on and you think well what are you getting out of this at all doesn't seem to be anything other than reveling in your own misery yeah i've come across those people and it is puzzling and i suppose sometimes that can just be yeah it is it is maybe yeah maybe not everyone is there to to do what i just said perhaps but um Mm. i think it's it's still our kind of i think we owe it to I think we owe it to people who are giving their their time, energy, and emotional investment to let them at least give them the option of making the best of it, I suppose. Thank you, and hopefully we'll see you again soon. Hope so. Slash, I haven't seen you because we've been doing this over a oh, yeah, yeah. which so you law abiding citizens. Completely blind. Uh and I'm in Nottingham. Where are you at the moment? I'm in Bath. You're in Bath. I'm in Nottingham. Mm. This is a very weird ending. But anyway, um uh, I'll speak Fairly to you well. soon. Yeah, take care. Thanks. Oh, let's do the whole thing again. It's not the whole thing. That's two hours <laughs> oh, God. Um I can't this has been a very emotional journey. I'm not sure I've got it in it me. It has.